Welcome back. On this episode of the High Tech Freedom Sales Podcast, my guest, Chris White, is a sales trainer with a focus on sales engineers, or what we call SEs. Now, this is a very special topic for me because when I look back at my own personal success, I was successful because of the sales engineers that I worked with. So in this episode, Chris discusses the importance of six habits in sales or specifically for SEs, which they are partner, probe, prepare, practice, perform, and perfect. He also emphasizes the need to balance efficiency and effectiveness in the sales process and highlights the tendencies for sales engineers to focus too much on creating the perfect demo. He shares tips on how to create effective and personalized demos that focus on demonstrating outcomes and solutions instead of just presenting the product. We also cover the importance of mutual understanding, empathy, and respect between the SE and the sales counterparts. Hope you really enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, Chris, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. How are you doing today? Man, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So I've been uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. So we briefly met when you were doing a co-presentation on the power of storytelling uh, here in Portland, Oregon. In fact, I still remember the story you were telling about the shovel. <laughs> we'll come back because I think that might work its way back into the discussion. For sure. But I was uh, I started following you and uh, just checking out some of your posts. And I'd seen that you had a book called The Six Habits of Highly Effective Sales Engineers. And I have to tell you, that really caught my attention because I am so appreciative of every SC that I've worked with over my career because I personally could not have been successful if I didn't have just an awesome sales engineer or SC. So tell me a little bit more about the. Well, first of all, let's back up. Tell me about yourself. Well, so, you know, it's funny, Chris, I graduated from college in the early 90s as an IT professional, and I was 15 years an IT consultant, enterprise architecture, and, you know, I I never thought I'd be in sales, but I was 15 years into a career, frankly, making more money than I thought I'd ever make, doing exactly what it was that I thought I wanted to be doing, and I was miserable in my job. And, and it's interesting, I went through a, a, one of these career professional career development programs, went through a series of tests, and the guy I was, the gentleman I was working with, who's still a friend, said, Chris, there's nothing wrong with you at all. You've just got talents that need an outlet. And that's when I discovered sales, and specifically pre-sales, as we call it. I was a sales engineer. And what's interesting is when I first got into that role, when I first got into sales, I thought I was going to be brilliant because I could move a mouse and talk at the same time. I, I realized that there's a lot more to being a, and if a successful and effective sales engineer, as we like to call them, than just being good in front of an audience. Yeah. And look, I, I made a lot of mistakes when, it, when I first got into the profession. 
I figured it out and and became the number one SE within my organization. About five years into that part of my career, I got into management and I inherited a team of pre-sales professionals. This was in 2010. Realized that they were making virtually all the same mistakes that that I had made when I first got into the profession. There wasn't a lot of training at the time. So I created training for my team. And we really turned things around and that the CEO got wind of it. And over the next couple of years, he, in addition to quote my day job, I was doing training for various teams. Fast forward about eight or nine years, I actually had an account exec. So I wanted the big bucks. So I moved, I took an account executive role for, for quite a few years, enjoyed that, and then found myself in sales enablement and really found my passion for coaching and teaching and training. And along that journey, I'd had a number of people say, you know, you ought to write a book. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And so anyway, long, long story long, I, I published the book in 2019. About six months later, some t- a team from Salesforce that runs onboarding for new hires coming out of college, they reached out to me and said, hey, we discovered your book. It's now going to be required reading for all of our new hires coming in. And it was at, it was at that point where I wow, maybe I've actually done something pretty good here. And then, and then the rest is history. I launched this business. Actually, Chris, this is interesting. I launched my sales training business full-time. In March of 2020. Yeah, good timing. Do the math on that. Yeah. I thought literally weeks before the world shut down, I thought I'd made the biggest mistake of my life, but I survived 2020. And there's a big, there's a pretty big demand for the kind of training that I do. And then the rest is history. I run sales training for, for sales engineers and, and combined sales engineer and account executive teams. And I, and I just, and I love what I'm doing. So anyway, that's, you know, that, that's sort of my journey and, and where, where I've come from and where I am now. Yeah, it was such a fascinating topic because um, you know, there is, there's lots of sales training out there. I haven't seen a, a ton of sales engineering training. In fact, so many times vendors will hire customers because they have the product knowledge they've been using. It's like, all right, well, you know what? We're going to customers, they see an opportunity to make some more money to go into sales. 100%. Vendor sees a nice path because, hey, this person's trained up and knows our stuff. They don't know anything about selling. They just know the product. And that's not always a recipe for success. Exactly. And, and by the way, that was my story. I, As an IT consultant, I became an expert in a specific software, enterprise architecture software. My first job was with that vendor. And to your point, I, I knew the product inside and out. I, I knew the space. I didn't know anything about sales. And so you, you asked about the book. And, and we'll get into the into the habits in just a moment. But the very first, I think the very first chapter in the book is you are in sales. And that's my message to all sales. And this was my, my message to myself. When I first got in, I mean, believe it or not, I was a sales engineer, but didn't think of myself as, as quote, being in sales, right? Yep. And that's that's the way a lot of us think. Like, I'm not in sales. That's below me. I'm I'm the technical expert. Well, guess what? As a member of the sales team, you are in sales. And that is our primary responsibility is to help the team close deals and generate revenue. Well, let's talk about it. like if at the most simplest level, the role of the SC is to what? It's it's actually an interesting question because my answer tends to be polarizing. I believe that at the end of the day, our primary objective is to, quote, achieve the technical victory or get the technical win or get the technical decision, however you, however you put it. 
And now here's my definition of getting the technical win. It's to provide the information and evidence necessary for the key decision makers to become convinced beyond any reasonable doubt that our solution is worthwhile and valuable and more worthwhile and valuable than all other options and or the status quo and inspired to make a change. That's my definition. And that's what I believe our job is. Yeah. How do you like that? I do. I I really like it because it sometimes gets lost, I think, where people define the technical sale as, well, they like our technology better than the other technology. Well, it doesn't matter if you haven't tied it back to the business in some way. And I think that's what you're really alluding to there is you've got to, yes, you have to get them sold on how great your technology is, but how do you then stitch it to the problem, the opportunity, the the business value? And and I'll I'll say that the three operative words to me are a worthwhile and valuable investment, because that's what it is. If we don't understand that what we sell is to them something that they're investing in to make their business better, to to increase the top line or increase the bottom line or decrease costs or something in that nature, we're, we're misunderstanding our role. Yeah. Well, before we jump into the six habits real quick, um, in terms of you touched on it in your opening, maybe a, a tip or suggestion to really have that great relationship between the AM and the SE, because it is one of those scenarios where I truly believe one plus one can equal three, you know, the sum, you know, the, what do they say? The something better than the sum of the parts, right? Yes. Yes. The whole is better than the Thank sum you. of the parts. Yes. I, I think, I think that's the term, but if, if I'm wrong, who knows, right? I'm rolling with it. So I'm actually glad you mentioned that because it actually plays into habit number one. So habit number one is to partner with our sales counterparts. And, and I do believe that that's the foundation of, of really of, of all the other habits. And, and so your, you know, your question, I think, was, was how. I, I think there's a couple things. First of all, it, it does begin with coming to peace with the fact that as a sales engineer, we need to come to peace with the fact that we are in sales. That's number one. And now once we accept that, the sales counterparts that we're working with, the account executives, the account managers, we're on the same team. It's not an us versus them. It's a we. We are in this together. Now, we have different roles. We have different responsibilities. We tend to think differently. We tend to approach deals differently. You know what? I I, I have this this whole matrix that I've created that draws sort of a, a... a, a comparison, if you will, between like quote the the, the typical AE and the typical SE, right? And of course, there's 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 things all over the map. But I'll, I'll give you just a couple of, a couple of examples. What do AEs fear the most in the context of the deal? Losing the deal, of course. I mean, it's it's our job, right? I mean, it's our livelihood. What do SEs fear most in the context of the deal? Losing credibility. Yeah, to say being wrong, yeah. right? Again, and, and I, I say this all the time, like it's not that we want we want to close the deal as much as anybody else, but this is our reputation that we're talking about. Totally different level, right? You know, uh, another thing I like to say, how do AEs tend to respond to questions? Uh, I like to say that AEs, and by the way, I was an AE for quite a few years, right? We tend to quote, round up <laughs> with our <laughs> answers, right? Like we err on the side of favorable, whereas SEs, they tend to to respond with precision. They value precision, right? But we need to we need to understand that precision 
doesn't net, you know, one, one of my favorite sayings, thou shall not voluntarily confess thy sins, <laughs> right? SEs are so quick to point out both the positive and the negative as if that's what's required to be honest, right? And, and, and I'm like, mm, if they didn't ask that, you, you don't need to offer the cautionary advice, right? Anyway, so, so let me get back to the question and put a bow on it. We need to recognize that our our sales counterparts are just that. They're our partners. We are on the same team. We are going to think differently. We are going to approach things differently. So we need to work hard to, to really work to understand each other, have appreciation and empathy for, for one another. And one of the things I tell the SEs, you need to respect and appreciate the pressure that, that the AEs and AMs feel because we don't feel that same pressure, right? And in reverse, AEs need to respect the SE's time. Mm-hmm. If we can do those two things, the, the trust and the respect elevates dramatically. Yeah. Hey, one, one of the areas of conflict that I've seen over the years is this, you know, kind of that, that right amount of time to use and work with the SE. So I've had, you know, I've worked with some uh, maybe... Now, some reps where they'd want to have that SE on every single sales call. And then they're frustrated. The AM is frustrated because the SE is not delivering on their um, commitment. Well, there's only so many hours in the day. But you know, what is maybe that that balance? You know, How far should the AM be able to run with it before they bring in the SE? You know, I wish I could give you like one, you know, sort of flat, flat answer, blanket, blanket answer on that. If I could, I'd, I'd probably make a, a, a lot of money just running around and saying that. I will say two things. First of all, the question that you've just asked is is one of the most common questions that I hear. And by the way, it bleeds. It actually, it's a nice segue into habit number two. Habit number two is to probe, and it's all about discovery, right? Every time, every time, if as an AE, I'm sorry, as an SE, every time an AE brings an engagement to me or brings me in for a conversation, engagement, or whatever, the first thing I as an SE need to do is. I need to do some discovery with my account executive, with the customer, right, et cetera. And one of the questions I hear all the time is a question that you're asking. What's too early to bring my SE into a relationship or a conversation? And what's too late? I think it depends on so many things, right? It depends on the product or the solution that we sell. It it depends on who it is that we're selling to. It depends on me as an AE. If I've been with the company for 10 years and I can talk to talk and walk to walk, then I may not need my SE as, as early. And I may be able to have some of those conversations. But if I'm a new AE and I'm working with some seasoned SEs, I'm going to have a conversation with them and say, look, I may be bringing you into some of the earlier conversations until I get up to speed a little bit, right? Here's the key point, and maybe this is what you were thinking or where you were leading a little bit. AE and SE need to sit down and have a conversation and get on the same page. And and together, they need to decide what does the the right time look and feel like for both of us, understanding, and you know this, you've been doing this a long time, there, there is no exact science in sales. Right. I mean, usually we're going on a hunch anyway. So anyway, I hope I hope that answers the question a little bit. No, that's great. Yeah. You know, and the um, the thing that I've seen over the years is, you know, I love it when the uh, the SC comes in and says, hey, what's the meeting objective? Right. What do we want to accomplish? And, you know, those great AMs have a good, solid meeting plan. 
roles, responsibilities, expectations. Sometimes there's questions that you know the AM really wants to ask, but if the SC can ask it, it's a, such a different response from the customer than the AM. And that I think you 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 talk about. Well, actually, it's probably one of your bullets. Is so, uh, preparation is so critical for that SC to really shine. So I don't know if you're familiar with the six habits or not, but you're you're just you're literally just going right through the six habits because because habit number three is to prepare. Oh, perfect. All right. Period. I mean, so again, habit one is to partner. Habit two is to probe. It's all about discovery. Once we've done some discovery, and even before we go into some discovery, habit number three is to prepare. And one of the things I like to say is we really need to balance efficiency with effectiveness. Right? How many times have you maybe had an SE working on one of your deals, and he or she does some discovery, and then they say, "Well, I can put together the perfect demo, but it's going to take me two weeks." Right? It's like we don't have two weeks. <laughs> and by the way, I can't have you working. I mean, look, in some cases, some people have the 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 luxury of being able to focus on one deal for two weeks to build like the perfect demo, but most of us don't. Right? And, and the problem that SEs have, and I'm the first one to raise my hand, we want to be so precise. We want to be so perfect. We want to put as many things into the demo as possible. And we spend countless hours, if not days, building, constructing, over-engineering a demo that, frankly, most of which will never actually be seen by anybody, Right. So, and, and one of the things that, that I talk about is the difference between the, you know, the demo content versus the demo story, the narrative. We tend to focus more on the content. We f- tend to focus more on the, the features, the functions, the, the components, instead of the, the narrative, the story, the message, the narrative, right? By the way, and a, you know, AMs are, are the same, right? We come out of discovery, what are AMs thinking? What slides am I going to show? Right. Instead of what's the message, what's the story. So anyway, I'll, I'll pause there. Uh, you, you, you obviously you, you triggered a, you know, re- response. I mean, f- with that comment. Before we jump into the topic, I wanted to let you know that we just launched a monthly drawing for one of our insulated high tech freedom tumblers. Now, I've been sending these out as a thank you gift to each of our guests, and the response has been great. You know, everyone has a full-size coffee cup, a Yeti, or whatever brand that they might use, but not everybody has the small tumbler that you can put your wine or beverage of choice in. And they're great for the deck, beach, camping, or just, you know, just keeping your drink warm or cold. Now, I'm not selling these, but I am excited about them. So we decided to offer these up to the loyal podcast listeners by doing a monthly drawing. So if you're interested, go to hightechfreedom.com forward slash mug, that's M-U-G, and you'll see a picture of the Tumblr and you can enter. We'll just collect your name, phone number, and email. And if you do win, we'll then follow up and ask for your mailing address so we know where to send it. If you don't win, your name stays in so you don't need to re-enter. Let's talk about demos for a second because I've sat through many SE-led demos, and some were great, some were not so great. Some we thought were fantastic, but I don't think the customer thought that way. I mean, maybe they had a different perspective. You know, when going in to do a demo, what what should be, and this is a broad question, but I mean, what should be the ultimate objective of that demo? That's, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a broad question. 
I'm actually going to answer probably in, in a way that, that you, you or your audience may, may not expect, or maybe, maybe you would expect. It completely and totally depends. I, th- this, this is one of the problems that I think both AMs and SEs make as we go into demos and we haven't really answered or considered the question, what is the objective of today's meeting? What is the objective of, of today's demo? Something, and, and it partially depends on what you sell and how complex of a platform it is and how complex of a business scenario it fits into. But oftentimes, the goal of a single demo is not necessarily to get the technical win today, right? It might, w- one demo, the goal of one demo might be to create an opportunity or to just plant a seed that somebody will, will take and start to, to move forward, right? There are what I call pipeline generation demos, right? There are also closing demos, right? If we've, if we've been talking to this customer for months and we've, we've had a number of meetings along the way and we're coming in for like the big closing demo, in that case, the objective is to solidify the technical victory right. and nail it home, right? So, so I actually think the question that you just asked is a question that all AEs or AMs and SEs should be asking themselves before the meeting, what is the objective of today's demo? Maybe it's just to ward off a competitor that we that we heard is sort of encroaching on our existing customer, right? Maybe it is to convince one key person. So we need to know what the objective is going in. So I'll, I'll pause there for a moment. No, it's, it's a really good point because uh, I've definitely seen demos used. It's just instead of maybe doing a presentation, it's kind of an awareness type of demo and, and using it to facilitate conversation, probing questions and so on. But I've also seen like we're more towards the, we're at the, we're the tail end of a deal cycle. That is not the time you want to start turning on new knobs and, and adding more analysis into the deal. It's kind of like a POC, right? You're trying to close that thing down. You're not trying to create new opportunities to have new discussions and new and show them new things. Uh, you want to get it done and over with. Well, and I think that's the key point is the objective really dictates sort of our trajectory in the meeting and and the focus if it's the closing demo we're we don't want to introduce any new concerns any new because any new idea is going to make them a, take a step back and say oh, well, well wait a minute may we hadn't thought about that maybe we need to reconsider or recalibrate and and of course the ae sitting there going no i don't want to re like we're so close to the finish line. Let's get to the finish line, right? And then if there's new things to consider, you know, down the road, we'll get there. So, and and you're right. That's the sort of building upon that, guessing where maybe you're going. So given the objective, what what's typically the, you know, what are some of the common mistakes that we make? I'm sure you and probably your audience has seen this countless times one of the there's probably two really big mistakes of doing a demo of of doing a demo of doing a demo se's doing a demo the first big mistake is it's rinse and repeat right they they have they have their talk track they have their script they have their flow the baton is handed to them and it's like you've pulled the cord and let it go and they're just right and and it's no and the audience is going to feel that the prospect the customer is going to feel that right they don't feel as though it's been personalized in any way to them their business what they're trying to accomplish that's big big mistake number 1 
Big mistake number two is it tends to be all about us. Our 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 compass is pointing towards our north, which is our product, our solution. We do this, right? Instead of and and I tell I tell you know we talked we we did this storytelling thing. I don't remember if I said this then or not, but I've told people. When you begin your demo, never again are you going to introduce it by saying, I'm here to demonstrate a product. The way you open is, we're here to demonstrate how companies like yours have achieved blank with our solution. Or we're here to show you how you can achieve blank with our solution. We're we're demonstrating outcomes, not products. I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah, so that's such a great point, right? Because you're making it as clear as day that we're going to talk about an outcome. You're setting the agenda around an outcome. And, you know, if I'm the customer now, I'm paying attention, right? Versus, you know, man, we're going to hear another product pitch, another product demo. And, you know, they go into that mode. Yeah. Pull out the iPhone and start searching. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and this this is a good time to to pull out the the shovel analogy, you know. And, and by the way, and I even I even referenced this when when we talk about habit number two, right? Th- it actually begins in discovery. And the, the shovel analogy, I, I refer to it as my golden rule of selling software, golden rule of selling technology. And what is my golden rule of selling technology? He or she who buys a shovel doesn't want a shovel. They want a hole, but they don't just want a hole. They want a fence or a tree, but they don't just want a fence or a tree. They want privacy or shade, or fruit, or flowers. And by the way, Chris, just like I did in Portland, I actually keep a shovel in the (laughs) office to emphasize the point. The problem is, is we show up and we want to talk about the shiny shovel, and we want to talk about the blade and the handle and how wonderfully built it is. And the problem, as you well know, is that most people don't care all that much about the shovel. And those who do, oftentimes, don't have a budget. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of times the SEs, they we we get all geeked up when there's somebody in the audience who wants to focus on the tool. Right. The problem is, is more likely that's not the person we're quote really selling to. So that that's the golden my golden rule of selling technology. I love it. I love it. You should get that shovel on the wall. Uh, you know, I've and I should paint it gold. I've thought about painting it gold and, and putting it right there on putting it right there on the wall. Put that on the to-do list. I'm sure you've got plenty on the plate there. Um, <laughs> all right. So that was partner, probe, prepare. Prepare. And then what's next? So there was, so, and and we we got into the demo and the demo, I, I like to say is to perform. And, and that's actually habit number five. So there was one, there was one that we skipped over and it's, it's actually, it's, there's a, there's sort, sort of a poetic justice, if, if I can use that term. That, that we skipped over it because it actually happens to be the habit that I believe we most often skip over, and that is to practice. So many times, particularly as an SE, when we're preparing for a demo, we're, work, we're literally working up to the last minute, just adding more stuff and tweaking this and tweaking that. And we forget or we overlook the importance of building in an hour or two or a half a day or whatever to just just practice. Let's make sure everything is set up and ready to go, right? And I'm sure you've seen it before. You get in front of a customer, they click into something, and then 
a 404 or whatever. I, you know, as I like to say, what's the one thing we don't want to see after the click of a mouse? A surprise, right? <laughs> right? Like we want to know exactly what's coming. And it's just because, you know, they configured this over here. They set up this, they did, right? And they forgot that, well, those changes affected this over uh, other thing over here, right? And then we click into it and it, and it you know, crashes in, in, front of the, in, in, in front of the customer or in front of the prospect, which by the way, is not the worst thing in the world, but sometimes that can happen at a really bad time or worse, the SE now gets flustered. Mm-hmm. And if we can handle it in those moments with grace and finesse and professionalism, most people will give us the benefit of the doubt, right? But my thing is, let's just click every click to make sure everything's set up and ready to go. Stuff's going to happen. No software's perfect. They're going to throw you curveballs. It's the avoidable mistakes, though. We want to eliminate the avoidable mistakes. So that's habit number four. Prepare, practice, and then habit number five is to perform. Yeah, showtime. It's showtime. It's a demo. And 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 as I like to say, there are very specific things we need to say, show, and do, and avoid saying, showing, and doing in order to achieve the technical victory, or at least in order to achieve the objective of the meeting, which may be a little bit different than specifically achieving a victory. So that's habit number five. All right. Well, and at that that point, right, I think a lot of SCs and AMs, I mean, that's kind of what we do day in and day out. So I think out of all those parts, the the part we're probably most comfortable with is that that performing piece. Yeah. So what uh, what is the last habit then? So habit number six is to perfect our craft. It's really just the habit of continuous improvement. And really, it comes right back to habit number one, because it's really, the, it's, it's grounded in, it's based on this notion of we should always be coming back and debriefing with our sales counterpart after meetings, after demos, after engagements, won or lost. What could we have done better? What could we have done differently? The next time we... You know, even even deals we we win, is there any way we could have seen this earlier and moved this through the pipeline more quickly, right? So to me, I think, and I'm sure you've seen this in, in your role and in your profession, the moment any of us think we've got it all figured out, the moment any of us get, and, and what happens? We get complacent. We don't do the things that produce consistent results that's when we start to slide backwards. So habit number six is simply to perfect your craft and, and just have, have a, a never-ending learning mindset and attitude. I, you know, I love that, that point. And I've, I've worked with and I've seen SEs where uh, on the topic of perfection, they'll go not only go back and kind of repractice it, but they'll actually, if they can, They'll go build their own controllable demo environment and practice and, you know, that just eliminate all the risks. But, you know, that, you know, that's just an example of that constant strive to, to get to perfection. And, and I also love your point about, you know, that debrief, because you can, you get out of the meeting, you're going to, everybody's hot to try to go to the next, whatever they have to go to. The more time goes by the more you forget. And there's nothing like that immediate, get in the car, go to a coffee shop, debrief. What did you see? What did you see? What went well? What didn't? Is there anything that I said that I shouldn't have? Anything that I said that was great? I mean, just some good feedback and and kind of, because uh, 
when the AM is talking, that's the beauty of the partnership as well, is when one person is talking, rarely are you perfect at reading the room because you, you're you're talking, you're thinking, there's just so much going on. But guess who's just sitting back, taking it all in? Your counterpart, right? And so there's such a valuable tool and team member to provide real good feedback of what they saw in the room that maybe you didn't see. Exactly. Exactly. And and look, at the end of the day, I really do believe that that this is is what strengthens the partnership. And and I, I've actually got a mouse pad, so I'm gonna hold it up. There's literally the the six habits framework. And there's a there's a reason it's cyclic, you know, cyclical or, or circular like that, because we get to habit number six, and by debriefing, it builds and reinforces the partnership and we're sort of right back to it. And the more we're building the partnership, the better we are in discovery and the better we are preparing and the more likely we are to practice. And it, it really builds on itself. So that that's really the whole idea. That's really the whole idea. Yeah. And look, we're just scratching the surface on the six habits of a highly effective sales engineer. Um, highly recommend, go get the book. We'll, uh, we'll provide the link. Um, so, Chris, you you probably have already covered all of this, but as you think back to your career, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, maybe talking to your younger self, anything you would have maybe done differently or told yourself your younger self to do differently? Mm, boy, uh, in, the, in the interest of time, I'll, I'll try to limit it. You know, I would say the number one thing that comes to mind is it's it's not about you. And this is something that i that i feel fortunate that i've i've learned per- particularly in the latter part of my my sales engineer career my account executive you know when when i spent time as an account executive and now that i'm running my own business it really is all about it's about the customer it's about the prospect it's about what they're trying to achieve and if and if we have what i like to call a quiet confidence in ourselves in our solutions in, in the problems that we can solve, then there's no reason for us to quote, make it all about us. If we can, if and when we learn to make our agenda secondary and their agenda the priority, them the priority, the more A, successful we are going to be in sales, and, and frankly, the more satisfied we're, we're going to be in sales. And so if, if there's anything I would have told the younger version of myself, it would have been just back, you know, back, e- easy does it there, big guy, and and check the ego at the door. This is it's not about you; it's about helping your your and serving your prospects and customers. Yeah, yeah, solid advice. Well, Chris, if somebody would like to reach out to you, what's the best way to reach out? Reach out to you. Of course, of course, they can reach me on on LinkedIn. Chris White's a pretty common name, so if they look up Chris White and Tech Sales Advisors, they should be able to find me. You mentioned the book. Of course, they can find the book on on Amazon is where the book's available, and they can certainly go to Tech Sales Advisors. That's all one word. TechSalesAdvisors.com and and reach out that way as well. All right. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating, and write a review. 
If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever. Thank you.